Amen. Good morning, church. Can we clap our hands as an act of thanksgiving to our God? Amen? Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Well, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I don't know if I've told you in a while how much I love you, and I just want you to know I love you, and this is just such a special day for our church. We say it all the time around here that we are what we like to call an aircraft carrier church, which means we are sending out. We love to send people out in God's name and, and, and taking the gospel all over the world. And this is a special day because we're getting ready to send out all of these boxes, over a thousand from our church and another thousand in the community from other partner churches. And that's an exciting thing. And, and I just, uh, before I get into the message, we're going we're gonna to be in, in this Stand Firm series, okay? So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to First Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up there. But I just want you to indulge me for a moment because I think sometimes it's really important for us to be reminded why we do what we do. Sometimes we can kind of just get used to doing things. We've been doing these boxes uh, where we're sending out these toys and things uh, where we partner with Samaritan's Purse. We've been doing that for many years now, and you can kind of get used to that. I'll confess to you that I, I did a little bit. And then it was earlier this week, whenever my life group, I was in my life group, we were having a packing party, and I just felt like the Lord was really impressing upon my heart at that moment moment to stop seeing these as just boxes with toys. And what I felt like God was speaking to me, and I want to communicate to you, is these aren't just boxes with toys. This represents a child. I want you to start seeing people, okay? You can almost envision, now this would be tough in this room, almost a, a, a thousand, right? A thousand kids that will receive this. And I leaned over to my friend Clay in our life group. He's our life group leader. And, and I said to him, I said, isn't it amazing to think that these are going to be put in the hands of a real child in the coming weeks? They'll open it. They'll have the joy of the toys that are in there. Put a smile on their face. But you also need to know that the gospel is being proclaimed to them in places all over the world where maybe they don't get to hear the gospel. And they're sharing with them since 2009, 9 million people. People have put their faith in Jesus Christ because of these. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, you should clap to the Lord for that. Churches are being planted off of these. And I said to Clay, I said, isn't it interesting that this could be the box that a child receives Christ because of this box you gave? What if this one, what if this one is the one that a church is planted off of and a whole village has changed? You see what I'm saying? I want you to think that way. I don't want you to just see boxes. I want you to see people. I want you to see that God is going to send these out. And I want you, while I'm preaching today, I'm, I've told you before, this isn't entertainment. This isn't me trying to entertain you. This is me bringing to God a message as I hope you listen and you bringing your worship and we're bringing it back to God. I want you praying over these boxes while I'm preaching today. I want you praying that as they get sent out, that lives are going to be changed because of that. It's amazing to think about that. And, and I just love being a part of a church where we partner in these kinds of things together. And it's not just about us because we can very easily, especially if you're going through a hard time right now. And I know some of you are going through some real challenges. It's easy in those times to turn our focus inward on us. And, and to kind of forget about others. And, and we start really kind of lamenting only the things that are happening in our life. And we can get inward focused. By the way, churches that turn their focuses inward, churches that do that, you need to know are dying churches. 
Churches that see the world and continue to take the great commission that our Savior gave us very seriously, those are the churches that God is blessing. Those are the ones that are growing. Those are the ones that are reaching into the community. Speaking of the community, I just, I started thinking, you need to know that the things that you're doing and the way that you're serving and the way that you're giving, why do we do what we do? It's because lives are being touched. People's lives are being changed. I started thinking about just some of the ways that we are engaged all over the world. And and I know I'm going to miss some of these things, but indulge me for a moment. And this isn't to pat us on the back. This is, I want you to know that what you're doing matters. What you're giving to is significant. And, and, and it's making a difference in our community and in the world. I think about the fact that Community Link was something that God used our church to be one of the founding churches of that. They're feeding thousands of people in our community and surrounding that are hungry now. That's because you give to that. We're giving more money to that this year and we're, more of you are serving in that. I think about how we are partnering with the Eagle Mountain Saginaw ISD in sponsoring some of the, of the schools in this area for kids who are, le- who are less fortunate. And many of you are... are, are doing Christmas gifts to that. I think about how our women of wisdom, the ladies uh, who have year in and year out served our senior citizens in the community, by, and they did it just this past week where there were over 80 senior citizens that were fed a Thanksgiving dinner because you give to stuff like this, and they serve, and, and, and how those senior citizens were so blessed. And, and, and I think about just uh, the benevolence, the thousands of dollars of benevolence funds that have helped Families who are struggling financially in our church as well as people who are in our community that need some help. And they go through our benevolence team who who comes alongside them. I, I think about the thousands of meals, no joke, thousands of meals that because you give into these things, we partner with an organization called Mercy Chefs. Mercy Chefs is the first people oftentimes boots on the ground when there's a natural disaster that happens uh, all over the United States, when there's a hurricane or there's floods or, or tornadoes or whatever. They are typically some of the first ones to show up and they feed people who need food. And, and, and thousands of meals have been provided through that. Then I started thinking about the, 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 the church plants that we are sponsoring and that we are partnering with. There are two here locally in the Saginaw area. There's one in Cleburne. There's a church in Haslett that we've partnered with and have supported. There's, there's one in Northside uh, of Fort Worth. Then I started thinking about what we are doing in Canada and the work that we are working uh, with other churches up there in reaching the Quebecois people group. That's less than one half of 1% of those folks know Jesus. Christ as their Savior. They're the most unreached people group in all of North America. And we are planting churches that are planting churches in that area. I think about how we partner with an organization called Parole de Vie up there. They are training missionaries, sending missionaries out all over the world uh, who are in French-speaking parts of the world. And just this last week, Parole de Vie had an event in Montreal where they had over 800 high school students that showed up. We gave into this. Uh, over 800, it's called Midnight Madness. At that event in this unreached area, 20 students accepted Christ as their Savior last, last week. Isn't that awesome, right? Yeah, you can clap for that. And, and, and again, I just want you to know that your giving into this makes a difference. That you're not just giving the boxes. You're giving in the lives of people. And people are being impacted because of your faithfulness. I thought about the work in Honduras 
and our partnership with the church in, in the village of La Pradera and, and, and the church that we planted in Regadero and the schools that our people have helped to build there. Water wells have been dug. A church building was built for the church in Regadero last, week, uh, last year, or this year. Uh, a medical clinic, we're looking at doing this this upcoming year, where we're hopeful that a church will be planted in a village called Achote this next coming year. We've been part of a work in Southeast Asia, where we were in Cambodia in the beginning stages of our church, where we had adopted an orphanage there and provided for many of those kids as we we gave into that. We partnered in Vietnam with, with Vision Source and Dr. Aston, where he and I went on a trip years ago, where we were able to provide 300 glasses for, for impoverished kids who needed glasses. We were able to do that, you know, because of your giving. We've trained pastors in India. We've been involved in Africa. We've supported college students out of our own church who have gone all over the world, from Peru to Alaska to Azerbaijan. We, we have Bryn uh, Childers, who is one of our own that we're supporting, uh, and she's in Okinawa serving as a principal in a school over there. I mean, I'm just blown away by all the ways that God has been using you and the faithfulness that's been happening. We have some amazing opportunities coming up this next year that I can't wait to share more with you about. We're going to be partnering with some church planning uh, opportunities that are going to be happening in Africa, and we plan on taking some trips. Some of you will get to go on some of those trips. We're starting to partner and about to be partnering with a guy who's planting a church in Madrid, Spain, and, and he is planting a church in an area where less than 1% in Madrid, less than 1% know Christ as their Savior. I mean, we're going into unreached areas, and I want you to know about that. That God has compelled us to go. There are so many ways. We're, 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 we're reaching out in Russia uh, with a missionary couple. We're reaching out in the Ukraine. We recently started supporting uh, a couple who is in, I can't tell you the country because of security reasons, but they are reaching Syrian refugees who are coming out of that war-torn area, and they are sharing the gospel, sharing needs with them, physical needs that they have, and they have already begun to have some people who are coming and accepting Christ in that as well. And I'm just wanting you to see that what you're doing is making a difference we're starting a new church over in the North Fort Worth area this year with Jake Liddett. He's our, our, our uh, first youth pastor that we had at EBC. We started partnering with another church in Keller, Frank and Grace Menza. They're starting a church that's reaching African people who have moved here from Africa. And, and, and so many in the DFW area, they've started. And, and, and just it's just amazing to know that we're, we've been doing work in India and in China. We're going to begin some things in China this upcoming year. And I was just looking at all this and I was like, Lord, why are you reminding me of all of this? Because my job, one of my jobs as your pastor is to remind you. And it's to mobilize you and remind you that, that what you're doing is making a difference. That what you're doing in the, in the giving and the faithfulness in that and the serving, it's why we do what we do. We're a church that takes the great commission that Jesus gave us, we take it very seriously. And I wanted to say this to you, that if you are new to EBC and you're checking us out, I, I invite you to jump on board with what God is doing here at EBC. If you've been here for a while and maybe you've gotten a little complacent um, and, and it's easy to do that, I want to move you out of that complacency and I want to say, get involved. 
Get involved in giving. Get involved in serving. Let's keep this thing going. Let's keep sending out. Let's stand firm in what the Lord has called us to do. And that's the title of this series is Stand Firm. So we pick up in Scripture in our study of 1 Peter, and we're going to look in verse chapter 3, verse 15, and then we're going to flow into chapter 4 today. I want to remind you that Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were suffering. They were struggling immensely in a lot of different ways, and they were being persecuted because they loved Jesus and they followed Jesus. Their culture was persecuting them. The community they were in was persecuting them. They were going through hardship. And in chapter 3, what Peter is going to say to them, and this will speak to some of you who maybe you're going through some difficulty right now. Peter's going to say to them, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be anxious. And as a Christian, carry yourself with with a lot of anxiety and worry and and kind of have a a sour disposition. He's saying, I don't want you to worry. What is he going to say? He's going to say, I want you to worship God. I want you in faith to step into the Lord and trust God. What do we do? We focus on ourselves many times when we go through hardship. And he's saying, no, I want you to not focus on yourself. I want you to focus, put your focus towards the Lord, even in the midst of your hardship. So he's going to say, I want you to, I want you to not worry. Look at what he says in verse 15. Instead, don't worry. You must, what's the word, church? What does it say? Instead, you must worship. Okay, do you see that? Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And as you do this, there's going to be something. You're going to, as you're standing firm, you're going to stand out. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way, right? It's interesting. This is something that you and I as believers, we should aspire to. What do you mean? We should aspire to the way that we live. Others should begin to ask us about our hope. Others should start noticing that there's something different about you in the way that you respond to things that are difficult and challenging in your life. He says, then, he says, as you keep your conscience clear, then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Chapter three talks about how to love life in spite of your circumstances. How to live the good life, he says. And they will ask you about this, verse 17. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. It's a reconciliation restored into the relationship we're created to have. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. That really translates better by the spirit. Verse 19. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body but as a response to God from a clean conscience. Now, this is a key sentence here. It is effective, that salvation is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and all the authorities and the powers, they accept his authority. So Peter is talking to these believers who are going through hardship 
and he's talking to us today, if you're going through hardship, and he's saying, stand firm. Keep the faith. Don't lose your faith in your hardship. Keep the faith. Keep persevering. Keep pressing forward in spite of your adversity. You keep moving forward in Christ, even when you don't feel like that, and you often will not feel that because our feelings are so fickle, right? And we go back and forth. Now, there are some powerful things that Peter says here, but I want to acknowledge also in chapter 3, Peter says some peculiar things. There are some things that are they're kind of strange, the way he words some things here, and, and, and it can even be a bit of a challenge to understand. I'll even just say this, that as I kind of studied this for myself, I noticed that there were many very reputable scholars, many, a lot of great scholars that I admire and respect, and how a lot of them didn't quite agree on a couple of these things that I'm going to mention here. Some of them were in disagreement. Now, in verse 18, let me point you to this first, because this is the focal point of this. It says this, Jesus suffered for us. That he died the, uh, the just for the unjust. And he did this in his suffering for us and dying for us once for all time. He who had never sinned became sin for us. This is a, verse 18 is a great illustration of what the gospel is. Is that Christ took our place. He stood in our place so that we could be restored and brought safely home back into relationship with God. Now what why is Peter bringing this up? Because here's what he's saying. Remember, these believers are suffering, and what Peter is saying is just like Jesus suffered, even when you do what is right, there are times where you are still going to suffer. Even when you do the right thing, you're still going to go through some hardship, and Jesus is the most powerful illustration of this because he was sinless, and yet he suffered. But in the suffering, there was something that was bigger that was going on that they couldn't see at the time. There was something that was happening. Now, as he gets into verse 19, Peter says this, Jesus went and he preached to the the spirits in prison. What in the world is he talking about here? Now, this is one of those verses that's challenging. Again, some commentators would say this is one of the most difficult passages in all of the New Testament, okay? Now, I want to just tell you, I don't want to get bogged down in this. I'm going to give you kind of a few different views. You go study it for yourself. I'm going to tell you a little bit of what, what I towards the lean, where I toward the lean toward in this particular passage. You might disagree with me. That's okay. But I want to urge you to go study it for yourself, and, and you can come to a conclusion for yourself, okay? Now, there are a lot of different thoughts about this passage where it talks about these, these, these spirits in prison. Some think these spirits were those who died who were in Sheol. Remember, we looked at Sheol when we talked about the, our series Afterlife a few weeks ago. And they were there waiting for the full atonement of the cross to happen. Some think a little differently. Some think this was what was called a Christophany. And a Christophany was where Christ pre-incarnate, before he became a man, would show up in Old Testament times. And and he would be in in that form where he would show up oftentimes and, and he would speak into situations Uh, Some would call that at certain points the angel of the Lord. I mean, there's a lot of different thoughts on this, okay? So some think that Jesus was preaching to Noah's sinful generation. There are some that kind of lean towards that. There are some who think that Jesus was preaching through Noah to his contemporaries, calling them towards repentance, okay? And then there are others who think that Jesus went into hell during the time between his crucifixion and his resurrection. And what Jesus was doing was he was declaring his victory 
over those who were the fallen angels. He was declaring that he was victorious. Now, again, I think that it's important that we acknowledge that this is a challenging passage, okay? And, and we don't wanna just skip over it. Again, that's why you need to dig in for yourself. I have a tendency to lean towards this because of the context. What I lean towards is that Jesus was preaching through Noah to Noah's contemporaries. Remember, those contemporaries were persecuting Noah and his family. For many years while he was building this boat, he was calling these people to repentance and they made fun of him and they, there was an evil generation that was happening. And, and, and why is he bringing up Noah here? Just as God saved Noah and his family, that's the eight who were mentioned there, God would ultimately deliver these persecuted believers that Peter was preaching to, that Peter was calling to stand firm in the persecution. Now, let me say, I'm not dogmatic about this, okay? There are many highly reputable scholars, guys who are smarter than I am, that have some differing views in this, and that's okay. Now, what about this baptism that saves? I mean, you know that we teach around here that a person is made right with God, not by baptism. That's an outward expression of an inward happening, right? Is he saying, is Peter contradicting this? We believe this, that scripture teaches in so many places, all throughout the, all throughout the greater context of scripture that, that we are justified, made right with God, not by any outward work that we do, but by our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that that is how we are made right in our relationship with God, that it's not an outward work. So, so what is he talking about in these waters as he brings this up? Remember, we are saved by grace alone, through, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, this passage where he brings up the water was not, this water, remember, was used as an act of judgment, and it would be ultimately used by God to save uh, by destroying those that were persecuting Noah, it was ultimately used to bring salvation to Noah and his family there. Remember the waters came, the flood happened as an act of God's judgment. And our immersion into our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is what ultimately saves us and secures our place in eternity. We are saved, as, and that's a gift. It's God's grace, right? It prevents us from being judged by God because Jesus took our judgment, the judgment of Christ, uh, when Christ was judged in our place when he hung on the cross, okay? So all of that to be said, again, go look into it for yourself. Study. The word of God is fascinating and it's powerful and it's, you can mine the depths of it in so many different ways. But all of this to be said, what is the main point of what Peter is saying in this? He's saying that when we suffer for doing what is right... When we follow Jesus no matter what, even if we are persecuted for our faith, or let's just say it's not persecution, but let's just say you're going through hardship, Peter is trying to encourage these believers to stand firm. Because here's the thing, we are often tempted to cave. When it gets hard in life, we are tempted to grow weary because it can be very tiring. We are often tempted, as we looked at last week, to retaliate whenever someone hurts us. Especially, you know, as he's in this context speaking about being persecuted for your faith in Christ. So what is Peter getting at? What he's saying is this, church, this is really important. He's saying you need to understand that you are already victorious because of Christ's death and resurrection. 
That's why he's bringing this up. This is your current condition. If you are in Jesus Christ, this is who you are. He's bringing Jesus up, and what he's saying is this. Jesus, although he suffered, listen, was never a victim, and neither are you. So what he's saying is, you may be suffering, but you are not a victim. Jesus never acted like a victim. Jesus didn't think like a victim because he had the resurrection of Christ in mind. He, he was victorious, and you are victorious because of Jesus, right? This is the point that Peter is making as a believer. You're not a victim, so stop thinking like one. Don't act like a victim. We live in a, in a society that oftentimes this is how culture will act, right? And, and he's saying, no, you're a believer. You're different. I want you to be different because you are, as Paul would say, remember, more than a conqueror. You are victorious. Paul would say things like this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you hear the victory language there? This is what he's getting at. This is who you are. You're not a victim. And ultimately, in God's perfect timing, he will vindicate us and make things right. In God's perfect timing, he will set things that are not right in this world right now. He will set those things straight. And you have to have your mind and your eye towards this. It may be hard now. But the resurrection of Christ happening is the game changer for the Christian. It was the game changer for these apostles who followed Jesus Jesus suffered greatly, but there was a bigger picture that was happening that, that, that they couldn't see at that time. He, he was victorious in spite of the fact that he was suffering. And why did he suffer? It said why he suffered, to bring us back to God, to restore us into relationship, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to stand in our place for us. Jesus wasn't a victim. He didn't act like one. He didn't think like one. You're not a victim. And so what Peter is saying is this. I want your mindset, Christian, to be the same as the mind that Jesus had towards his suffering. This is exactly what he says as we begin to move into chapter 4. God wants us to stand out. This is what our attitude as a Christian should look like in the midst of suffering. So listen to what Peter says. So then... Because Jesus wasn't a victim, he was a victor, right? He's victorious. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you, Christian, must arm yourselves. This is a military term. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. We've been talking about this internal attitude that we're called to walk with in the midst of difficulty. And look at what he says. And be ready to suffer. Because this isn't heaven. This is a tough world that we live in. It's not right right now. And what he's saying is, I want you to gain perspective over your suffering. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, look at what he says. Interesting. You have finished with sin. All right, so there's this attitude of victory that he's saying, I want you to carry yourself with in the midst of your difficulty. Did you see this? Peter says, look at the way that Jesus suffered. And this is how we are to press through suffering in our own lives. So what do we do whenever we're going through difficulty? If you're going through hardship now, please hear this. I, I in no way want to minimize what you're going through. It is a hard thing. It is a bad thing. It, it's not good. Some of the things that some of you are facing, I can't even con, con, comprehend some of the difficulties that some of you are experiencing. But he's saying, this is how I want you to arm yourself in the midst of this. Look at this. We want to remember the resurrection of Jesus. 
you got to go back to, look back to the resurrection of Christ. This is what Peter did. And he's calling these believers to look back to this, to gain perspective over our current sufferings. We're to arm ourselves with this attitude. Think about this. Peter knew exactly how this felt at this point. He was right in the middle of difficulty, right? He understood this. Whenever he saw Jesus go to the cross, Peter was distraught, as all the disciples were. He watched his best friend and his Lord and Savior be tortured. He watched him be falsely accused. He watched him be beaten and tried unjustly with false trials in the middle of the night. Here's the point in this. It looked like evil had won. And in that place is where Peter began to deny Christ. It looked as if as if the bad guys were victorious. It looked like everything was totally out of control. What Peter is saying is just like it seems when things are most out of control, when we look back at what was happening with Jesus on the cross, this is actually when God was doing his greatest work. That God's doing this work, it looks bad on the outside, but God's working in some incredible ways. What he's saying is, Christian, arm yourself with that same kind of mindset. And it takes faith to step in and say, God, I don't get what's going on right now. I don't understand this difficulty, but in faith, I know that you're doing something. In faith, I know that, that you're working in ways that I can't see, just like you were working in ways that Peter and the other disciples couldn't see when Jesus was on the cross. What he's saying is when these things seem out of control and when God is not with us, when it seems like the bad guys are winning, you got to know that God is in control, that God is working a plan. And he's saying, think like this. I want you to wield this as a weapon when the hardship comes on. I don't want you to, when the doubts begin to creep in, you have to wield this mindset of Christ towards that. You have to defend yourself when the despair starts to settle in and the difficulty. And Peter knew this better than anybody. I want you to think of how distraught they were at 3 p.m. on that Friday when Jesus breathed his last breath. And they thought that it was over. They thought that the bad guys won. They, they couldn't understand and conceive this. And what Peter is saying is, when it seems like that, I've been there. He's saying, I've been in this place, but then there was something in the midst of that darkness that happened. And, 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 I, and Peter was saying, and I didn't trust God in this. We know that Peter's response was a denial. We know that the other apostles' response was to run away in fear. But in the res when they, what was the changer in all this? It was whenever they saw the resurrected Christ. When they saw him and when they touched him and when they saw that this was the game changer. And listen, God is in control in whatever is going on in your life. And it may seem out of control now. Peter's saying, I want you as, you, as you look at a situation that you can't comprehend, I want you to remember the resurrection. I want you to think back upon the victory of Christ. Next, what Peter says is if you've suffered with Christ, he says you've finished with sin. Now he goes in verse 2 and he says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. That word is the word epithemia. And it's your own lusts, your own cravings, seeking only to satisfy yourself. Why? Because he's saying because you're different now. But you instead, Christian, will be anxious, it's better translated, eager. You're eager to do the will of God. It's not just to soothe yourself, it's to do God's will. You have had enough in the past of evil things that God, the evil things that godless people enjoy. This is your past. 
What is it? Their immorality and their lust. Their feasting and drunkenness. Their wild parties and their, and this is what really stood out to me this week as I was reading this, and their terrible worship of idols. Now, a lot of times, again, we, th- we think of idols. We think of a little statue or something like this, but I want you to think bigger picture here. What is Peter saying? Well, often when we go through a hard time, well, all of us are going to go through a hard time, and we all have two choices. We're all going to go through a hardship whether we're a believer or not. The scripture says that it rains on both the just and the unjust. This is in heaven, okay? So you have a choice in how you suffer. You have a choice in how you go through what you go through. You can go through what you go through righteously, or you can go through what you go through, what he's saying is sinfully. You can determine to begin to go back to some of your sin. What Peter is saying is, follower of Jesus, when you suffer, here's what I want you to do. Stop sinning in your suffering. Don't go back to the way you used to be. Don't go to what your default mode so commonly is. Remember this, that that both believers who are in your life, and if you're a mom and dad, or if you're a husband or a wife or, or a single, remember that as a believer, there are other believers that are watching you. They're looking to your example. Remember this, that not only are believers watching you and how you go through hardship, remember this, that also unbelievers are watching you. That they want to see if something that you say that you have in your life is really making a difference. And what he's saying is, as you decide to suffer, regardless, you're going to have to do one or the other. He's saying, I want you to suffer the way that the Lord would have you suffer. I want you to suffer righteously. I want you to not go back into sin. I don't want you to go into this place. Those of you who follow Jesus, stop sinning. He's saying, now, sometimes... What I think Peter is saying here, sometimes whenever life gets hard, here's what I think we have a tendency to do. I mean, in this case here, we want to escape our suffering, okay? These believers were being persecuted. Peter was speaking into them, into their lives, and he was saying, I don't want you to deny Christ the way that I did when the suffering started and the fear started coming in. I don't want you to deny Christ that way. Uh, That didn't work out for me, right? That was not the way to do this. Remember, he even kind of started going back to fishing. He's saying, don't go back. Peter knew this. By the way, what was it that changed Peter? The resurrection. Peter, instead of denying Christ, we're told that whenever Peter was being persecuted and and he was given an opportunity to renounce his faith in Christ again, there are some who tell us that, 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 that Peter would not denounce Christ. We know that to be true. And that he wouldn't even be crucified in the same manner. He said, I'm unworthy to be crucified the manner in which my Lord has been crucified. And, and some of the early church fathers tell us that he was crucified upside down. That he would not deny Christ in this. Now for us, we're probably not going to face that kind of persecution in the, or, 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 or that kind of hardship in our life. But for us, maybe when we are going through a difficulty... See if you can relate to this. We are tempted to try to escape the suffering, and some of us will try to do this by self-medicating with sin. And we can self-medicate with our sins of choice. Notice he says some things about what many will look to for self-medication in difficult times. He says, I don't want you to be indulgent in this alcohol. I don't want you to be living in drunkenness. He mentions feastings, or maybe it's food. Maybe it's sexual immorality, or drugs, or pornography, 
Remember, he says, I don't want you to get into these things that can be idols in your lives as a response of your, of your suffering. We can turn to those things in the manner in which we should be turning to Christ, and we turn those things into idols. Peter's saying, stop sinning, stop turning to your old sin, and I want you to turn to Christ. I want you to go, to go to Jesus in this, trusting him to help you get through what you're going through, to endure it, to suffer well, to suffer with a clear conscience, to live like Jesus even in your difficulty. Listen, we're all tempted to escape suffering. Whenever things start hurting, right, and whenever things are challenging, we're all tempted to go to something else to bring us a temporary form of relief. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a common expression. We all have our go-to. I've been really transparent with our church about some of my struggles, all right? And, and my struggle, and I know some think this is trivial or whatever, but it's not with me because I've realized that there's been something that in hardship I have turned to as an idol in my life, and the Lord has had to convict me of this. No, it's not alcoholism or drugs or anything like that. It's one that I think is more common uh, in our culture is an overindulgence in food. Let me just say, I love me some food, amen, right? You with me? Food is not bad. But whenever you turn something to the, into the thing that, that is, 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 is trying to bring you some sense of escape and that's what you're turning to instead of turning to Christ, and it becomes your God. It's what you go to when you're happy. It's what you go to when you're sad. It's what you go to when you're stressed. Listen, food is not bad. Food is good. But whenever you turn it into an idol, what Peter is saying is don't let these things be the thing that you turn to in your life. When it gets hard, go to Jesus. Bring your, your hardship to Jesus. Uh, press into Christ. And this is a good place, honestly, for self-reflection for all how are you in your faith when things get tough? Is there something that you have a tendency to turn to other than Christ? Peter is saying, stand firm. Listen, I, I want you to be firm in your faith. Peter is saying, I want you to be resolved when things are rough to turn to Christ. So you look back at the, resur or, excuse me, at the resurrection He's going, to, he's going to say, you look back at this, and then he's going to begin to talk about this victory there, and he's going to begin to turn the direction of this. Now, look at what he says in verse 4. Of course, when you stand firm, and when you suffer well, and when you do what is right in spite of what others want you to do, your former friends are surprised. They're surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do that maybe you used to do with them. So what is their response? So they slander you. Maybe they persecute you. Maybe they run you down. Maybe they, they, they call you a holier than thou or whatever. And why? Because you're standing out because you're standing firm. You're standing firm in your faith. You're not going back into some of the things that, that you used to do. And I mean, I think of, I think of somebody like Tim Tebow, okay, and, and some of the abuse that was hurled upon him whenever he was, when he was playing quarterback in the NFL, and, and, and he did so great in college, and he faced a lot of criticism and critique, and maybe he wasn't the greatest NFL quarterback. But one thing you got to give this guy was that he lived his values out in front of other people. 
And remember, he would score a touchdown, and he would go down on one knee, and he would give praise to God. He uh, would speak very openly about his faith in Christ and his values in Christ and, 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 and that he was committed to, to uh, staying sexually pure in spite of all of the immorality that was happening all around him. And what happened? Man, they made fun of him like crazy. Over and over again, one former quarterback in the NFL made fun of him and, and, and told him what a fool that he was and, and, you know, and told him he needed to keep his faith to himself. What, it, what is happening here is this, is that Peter is saying is that when you choose to do what is right, don't be surprised when other people are going to start pointing that out and they're going to even say some negative things about you. Why? Because they don't get it. They're thinking, why in the world would you not live for yourself right now? That's how the world responds. Do what's best for you right now. And what Peter is saying, no, you got to look back on the resurrection, but here's what he's also going to point to. Peter says, I want you to look towards the return of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that Christ is coming, that there is an accounting that is going to happen, verse 5. But remember that they will have to face God. This is a sobering verse. We all understand that we're going to stand before God, right? That we stand before God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news, that's the gospel, was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the spirit. Another peculiar verse, but here's what it is. Those that were preached the gospel, they received the gospel, they died physically, now they're in the presence of the Lord. And here is what he's in essence saying. There's not a one of them that's up there right now in the presence of the Lord saying, I wished I'd lived more for myself. What he's saying is they are joyful as they now live forever in the presence of God. So, so here's what he's saying. Remember the resurrection. Look back towards that. But in your suffering, remember that Jesus is coming again. Remember that he's coming again and gain perspective in your suffering. And I know many of us think like this, okay? Well, that was 2,000 years ago and he said that the end is coming soon. It still hasn't happened. We have to understand that 2,000 years in the grand scheme of eternity is a speck. I don't have time to go into that today, but it's a speck. Peter would say in 2 Peter that a day uh, or a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. I mean, it's, I mean and he's just trying to put it in terms that we could understand. What is he saying? Here's the mindset, all right? And I want to wrap this up with you, okay? But the mindset is this. Have you ever been, have you ever like been watching a TV series? Maybe you're binge watching something on Netflix or whatever, and they always leave a cliffhanger, and you're wondering, whatever it is you're watching, how is the good guy going to win in this? And you start feeling the tension that's rising as you're watching that. You know, everything's out of control. I started thinking of whenever I was a kid, okay? And whenever I was a kid, I used to love to watch this show, the Batman show with the old school Batman. Anybody watch that? Raise your hands, help me out. Okay, these are my people. And I watched that, all right? And it was cheesy. They would have their fights. I would have my mom take a cow, uh, or a, a, a towel, not a cow, a towel, wrap it around my neck, okay? And, and, and we, my friends and I would fight over who was Batman. And uh, you didn't want to be Robin. And, and so here's the deal. We, were, we, would, we would go through play this and then we would watch the show and it would always, and do you remember this? When they would fight, they'd have the words pow, pow. All that stuff would come up. Very cheesy, but I loved it. And Batman and Robin would always get into some kind of mess. And, and I remember, and I'd seen all of them and I'd watched them many times over and every time it would come to the, to the uh, time for the commercial and the guy would come on with a voiceover and he'd be like, will Batman survive? Remember this? 
or will Joker have the last laugh? Ha, ha, ha. You know, or whatever. And it would go and I would, I would feel tense. And then I would tell my eight-year-old self, self, what are you so tense for? You've seen this show before. You know who wins. And here's what Peter is getting at for you and for me. That when we go through these difficulties in our life, he's saying, I want you to be mindful of the outcome. And here is the thing. It's not that Batman wins, all right? Here's the thing. We know as believers that Jesus Christ has already won, amen, right? And that he's coming again. During Christmas, we celebrate the baby who was born. You need to understand in his second coming, he is coming as a warrior. And he is coming on a great white horse. And he is coming as a conquering king, right? Because he is conquered. Jesus has won. If you don't know the end of the book, you need to go read it. And because Jesus has won, write this down, so have you. Because Christ has is victorious. You are also victorious. So he's going to say this. You're victorious. Think about the resurrection. Think about the second coming and the judgment that's coming. And you escape that because of your faith in Christ. And I don't want you to sin. Here's what Peter's going to say. I want you to start serving. Start serving others in spite of your suffering. When we suffer, we often turn our focus inward because it's natural. Some of you are going through a hard time and you're going to think, this isn't what I want to do, right? And, and, and I understand that. But what he says is this, I want you to start serving. I want you to start loving others. I want you to be different in spite of the difficulty. Look at what he says, and we'll read this and we'll pray. But he says, most important of all. When Peter says that, we better take notice of what he's telling us to do. Continue. This is a continuing action to show deep love. That's the word agape. This is this love of will, not of sentimentality. It's a love of choice, a love for each other, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Now look at verse 9. Cheerfully, that word could translate like this, without complaining, without grumbling, without a begrudging spirit, share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. That's a good verse, maybe going into the week of Thanksgiving and the holidays for your family members that you don't like, okay? <laughs> Do you have the gift of speaking? He's going to talk about Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and the energy. You say, I don't feel like doing it. Look, the strength and energy that God supplies. You press into the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm just your servant to be used even in the midst of my suffering. And then everything, what does that include? Everything, even your suffering. Everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. And all God's people said, say it with me, what? Amen. Amen. That's what he said. So let's just bow our heads before the Lord. As you go into this week of Thanksgiving, be thankful for a passage like this because it's an anchor for us in our faith. He's saying, I want you to be grateful for the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Just give thanks to God about that right now. I want you to be thankful that you know that your Savior is coming back for you. 
And we want to stand firm in our faith in Christ. This morning, you have an opportunity. If you're going through hardship, even in the midst of your hardship, listen, the test of our faith is not when everything is going well. The test of our faith is can we still praise him in the, in the difficult times, even when we don't feel like it. You see, when we do that, that is, the, that is this offering. It's a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. Today, will you just offer that up to God? Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your salvation. We want to be a, known as a church that stands firm in our faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Will you stand with me? Let's offer this song up to the Lord.